Hello, Real Life family and friends. Today we are continuing a series called Spirit Living. And uh, as we get started with this, I know there's a lot of different ideas and a lot of different uh, denominational beliefs about the Holy Spirit. So uh, we're looking at the Bible today and we're going to see what God says, what the Bible, the Word of God says about the Holy Spirit. And uh, just a quick review from last week that we were talking about how the promise of the Holy Spirit um, is now fulfilled. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, I think it's, it's very important that we have a strong doctrinal foundation um, on this topic. And so um, regardless of your church background, you know, maybe you're from a Catholic background or a Baptist background or Methodist or uh, Pentecostal or Assemblies of God, there's lots of different denominations um, and a lot of different uh, thoughts about this. You know, I'm asking for us to see what the Word of God says, to suspend our preconceived ideas, our opinions, um, and some of these, these thoughts that we have, our experiences, and come to the Word of God and look at the Holy Spirit during this series. And so we're going to do a lot of scriptures. We're going to look at what the Bible says, and we're asking for the Holy Spirit to tell us, to speak through us, uh, his word and reveal what his truth is to us. Uh, but 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So in as much as possible, regardless of our upbringings and in um, all of our previous ideas, I'm challenging us to let's study the word of God and learn from the scriptures uh, concerning the Holy Spirit as the Word of God itself teaches us. And so like I said last week, we talked about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And last week's message was called, The Day of Pentecost is Today. That we are living in the time in which the promise of the receiving of the Holy Spirit has been fulfilled. Uh, we, we looked at that last week when we looked at uh, Acts chapter 4, uh, verses one uh, or Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. Uh, today, uh, this Sunday, May 28th, 2023, is on the Christian calendar, the day of Pentecost. And so on this day, many, many years ago, almost 2,000 years ago, uh, this happened in real time in human history. God's Spirit, for the first time ever, came into believers to stay forever. Wow. The promise has been fulfilled. Have you experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit? Have you experienced this promise? You know, when Peter got up in front of the crowd on that day and explained to everybody what was going on, there's an interesting phrase in Acts chapter 2, verse 16. And he says this. In the King James Version, he says, this is that, this is that, which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he goes on to say, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And so Peter takes a prophecy from the prophet Joel and he says to the crowd, this is that which he said would happen. It has now happened. The promise of God pouring out his spirit upon all people is now happening right in front of your eyes. And so that is happening today. If you have not yet received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit into your life, 
Ask God. Ask Him. Fill me, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I am ready to receive the promised Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is our guide, our teacher, and the power that we need, the very presence and power of God, to live the image of God on the earth, to be restored to the image of God, and to live life His way. And so that's what we're talking about in the series, is um, getting to know the Holy Spirit and learning how to live um, this new life. I call it spirit living. How do we, how do we uh, live in the Spirit? How do we walk by the Spirit? How do we experience uh, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and, and how does that impact our day-to-day -day life? So that's what we're talking about. And so the takeaway from last week is the Holy Spirit is for you today. Peter said this to the crowd. He said, when they said, what do we do? He said, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Um, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the promised Holy Spirit. The promise is for you. The Holy Spirit is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so that promise is still available for you and for me today. And so that's the takeaway. So, <coughs> excuse me, the, the third uh, epistle of John, verse 2, says this, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. And the Christian lifestyle is meant to be one of abundance. And that has been avail made available to you and to me through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This abundance is not defined by an increase in possessions and money and wealth and things like that. I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's an increase of freedom, of healing, of fullness of God. And it affects every area of our life. And so, like that verse I just read, that as your, may your soul prosper. God wants your soul to prosper. He wants your body to prosper. He wants your spirit to be alive. And so that happens even more fully through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Well, today's message is entitled, The Holy Spirit is a Person. I want to talk about how the Holy Spirit is a person. Some people use the phrase, Holy Ghost, um, I'm not really comfortable with that because I just don't feel like the word ghost really accurately uh, paints the right picture for me. Um, because a ghost, in my opinion, is, uh, well, you know, it's, it's like, I guess in the world's eyes, a ghost would be a dead person, you know, who has this um, a, a floating spirit of some sort, right? But that's not really what... Um, the Holy Spirit is all about. He's not a ghost. He is a person. And uh, in fact, the, the word ghost comes from Old English, ghast, which means breath or spirit. So I just don't like to use the, the, the phrase Holy Ghost, but if that's what you like, that's fine. But it just doesn't conjure up the right analogy for me in my, in my mind. So I like to use the word Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit is a person. So let's talk about this. Of course, the doctrine of the Trinity um, is where all of this comes from. And so the doctrine of the Trinity in the Christian church is that there is one God who has manifested himself to us in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So just give you a quick uh, review of this. In Genesis 1.1, uh, in the Hebrew it sounds like this. This is how it would be um, 
how it was written in the original language. Bereshit bara Elohim. Those are the first three words of the scriptures in Hebrew. In the beginning, um, bara means he created, Elohim means God. But Elohim is plural there. Some say that it's plural to emphasize or to stress maybe the majesty of God or to heighten um, um, who God is. But the fact of the matter is, it is in a plural, grammatically plural form. Elohim, if I was to translate that literally, might be um, they God, they God. And bara is in a singular form. He created, not they created, he created. And so there's this mystery already in the first three words of the Bible which is kind of pointing towards this concept of a trinity, where there is a singular purpose, but a multiplicity of persons or personalities. They, God, he created. It's just the mystery is already beginning, right? And we'll never fully understand this, but that's just some interesting information from the very beginning of the Hebrew Bible, okay? Um, and then we read in the same chapter later in Genesis 1.26, listen to how this sounds. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So now we see God is speaking, but then he's talking of himself as a plurality. Let us make God, uh, mankind in our image, in our likeness. That's how it's translated. So we see that language, even God himself is projecting himself to creation, revealing himself to us in the form of uh, one God, but three persons, right? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, very famous um, verse, to the, especially to the uh, Jews, because this declares that God is one. In English, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. So while we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit throughout the scriptures, we also see, see that God is still one. It's a mystery, right? It's not one plus one plus one uh, should equal three in, in our math, right? But maybe it's one times one times one, and then there you go, we get equals one. Somehow, um, God has three persons, and yet there's a unity. There's one. So the Godhead is working together. I'll just give you a couple quick examples of this in creation. Genesis 1 verses 1 through 3 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. So we see God the Father present. God is creating. We see the Spirit of God hovering. And then we see God speaking. And there are words and and the very first part of, of creation is light. And later we see that Jesus is the word of God. He was with God in the beginning. He was God in the beginning. And through him all things were created. How is that possible? Well, because he was the word. And so we see the word being spoken. That's Jesus. We see God speaking. And then we see the spirit hovering or activating those words. So we see the mystery of God. Three in one right at creation. We also see, as I've been mentioning the last couple of weeks, the three, the Trinity at work together in Jesus' baptism. Matthew 28, 19, therefore go, whoops, that's the wrong verse. Um, I don't have it written in front of me. Let me see, I'll find it real quick. It's Matthew chapter 4, 
my notes are are off there so let me just catch it real quick out of the scriptures All right, Matthew chapter 3, verses 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So we see Jesus himself being baptized. We see the Holy Spirit coming out of heaven and lighting upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And we hear the voice of the Father in heaven saying, this is my Son. Right? And so we see uh, the Godhead working in perfect unity together. And then we also see the Godhead working in our lives. And just to make it real simple, I love this prayer out of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 14 that Paul uses as a blessing. And he says it this way, he says, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Isn't that a great blessing? And it's touching on each of the Godhead. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of God that saves us, and may the love of the Father, the love of the Father, the, the relationship that we have with God as His Son and His daughter, may that love and may the fellowship or the the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. What a great blessing. And so we are to relate to God as Father, Creator, to Jesus as our Savior, and to the Holy Spirit as our Helper. So we, we need to be able to relate to God in all three ways. So we, God, the, God the Father is a person, right? Jesus the Son is a person, and the Holy Spirit is a person. There's three persons to God. Again, we don't fully understand this, but that's, that's the truth. That's what the Bible is revealing to us. And so, how do we relate to God? Well, the Father. When I think of, if I was to summarize each of these persons with one word, what word would you use to describe our relationship to the Father? And I think we just read it in the blessing, right? It's love. It's love. So we relate to the love of the Father, and He is the Father who loves us, right? So 1 John 3, 1, for instance, says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We are the children of God. By the love of God, He has adopted us into His family. John three sixteen, of course, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so we see the love of the Father over and over and over again. And so you need, I need to experience the love of the Father. I mean, I had a life-altering, transforming period in my life when I was around 36 years old, when I had a profound revelation and experience of the love of the Father. Oh, it just changed my life how much God loves me. Wow. Each of us need to, to connect with God the Father and His love for us. We need His love. The second is Jesus. How do we relate to Jesus? And if I was to think of one word to describe um, my relationship to Jesus or our relationship to Jesus, it would be salvation. That's how I'm saved. He came to save me. And so we relate to the salvation of Jesus. Jesus is the Savior 
who saves us, okay? That's my relationship with Jesus. He's my Savior. Of course, He's my Savior and Lord, but He, he saved me. He saves me, right? And 1 John 4.14 says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Matthew 1.21, an angel is talking to Joseph about Mary, and the angel says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, or Yeshua, which means the Lord saves, because he will save his people from their sins. And then 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full accept acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom Paul says, I am the worst. <laughs> and then Luke 19.10, 10, Jesus himself said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So we need to relate to Jesus as our Savior. You need to surrender your heart to Christ. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me, through declaring our need for Jesus' salvation. For he bled, he died, that we might be forgiven and born again. He's our Savior. We must relate to Jesus as our Savior. So we have the love of God. We have the salvation of Jesus. So what about the Holy Spirit? What about the person of the Holy Spirit? How do we relate to the Holy Spirit? And if I was to think of one word for the Holy Spirit, it would be power. Yeah, you probably thought of it yourself as well. Power. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God and the power of God to help us win, to help us live a new life, you know, to help us defeat sin, to be transformed, to be filled with God's power to live this life and to demonstrate to the world God is alive. Jesus is alive, right? So it's about power. We relate to the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the helper who empowers us, who empowers us. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Luke 4.14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. That's when his ministry began, is through the power of the Spirit in him and through him. In Ephesians 3.16, Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit, in your inner being. That's where um, the Holy Spirit's role is in our life, is to fill us with His power, His presence. His very presence is the power of God. He is God, right? So, relating to the, uh, the personal Holy Spirit, God wants you to experience this personal relationship, not just with the Father and His love, not just with Jesus and His salvation, but with the Holy Spirit and His power. His power. God wants you to experience His power. So the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not just a power. He's not a ghost, like I mentioned before. The Holy Spirit is a person. A person. And God wants you to experience this personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Okay? So let's talk about how the Holy Spirit is a person. First of all, let's just look at the characteristics of a person. The Holy Spirit has a mind, you know. Romans 8, 27 says, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And so the Spirit has a mind, right? The Holy Spirit 
has thoughts, okay? Uh, the Holy Spirit has a will. Romans 8, 5 says those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires or what the Spirit wills. So the Holy Spirit has a will, um, has a mind, has a will. And 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, these gifts. And he distributes them, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He distributes these gifts to each one just as he determines, just as he wills. So we see the Holy Spirit has a will and, and has a determination and has desires. And so he's a person. He has a mind. He has a will. And finally, the Holy Spirit has emotions. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed on the day of redemption, for the day of redemption. And so we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can, we can offend the Holy Spirit, um, hurt the feelings of the Holy Spirit, uh, because he's a, the Holy Spirit is a person. God the Father is a person. Jesus is a person. The Holy Spirit's a person, right? We're made in his image. And, and so we, we, there, there's the mind, the will, the emotions, all that stuff is, is a part of who we are because that's, a part of who God is, right? And so the Holy Spirit is a person. And here's some characteristics of the person of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15.30 says um, the love of the Spirit. So there's the love of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 and 23 speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. As I mentioned, Romans 8.27 speaks of the mind of the Spirit. And Ephesians 4.30 speaks about how we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, we are not to quench the Spirit. And John 16, 7 to verse, uh, verses 7 to 15, has a, a little passage that Jesus is teaching about the Holy Spirit, and 10 times he uses the pronouns he or him, talking about the Holy Spirit. Not it. The Holy Spirit's not an it. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit is a he. <laughs> I almost said it again, but it, the Holy Spirit is a he. He is a person, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit can be resisted in Acts 7.51. Uh, the Holy Spirit can be lied to, like Ananias lied to him in Acts chapter 5, verse 3. The Holy Spirit has knowledge to share with us in 1 Corinthians 2.11. The Holy Spirit is a teacher, John 14.27. The Holy Spirit is a helper, John 14.16. The Holy Spirit speaks, John 16.13. The Holy Spirit forbid Paul to go to Asia. So he's demonstrating his will in Acts chapter 16, verse 6. So again, I'm quoting a lot of scripture because I'm trying to show you, let's look at what the Bible says about the topic of the Holy Spirit. So you can look these scriptures up. You can read them for yourself. You can look at our notes and study and, and see, change your mind if you've viewed the Holy Spirit as not a person or an it, right? But I'm trying to help you see that God has revealed himself in three persons. And if you only have a relationship with God as the Father and God as the Son, but you don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit as a person, you're missing the fullness of what God has for you. You, you can't have a complete relationship with God if you don't have a personal relationship with all three personalities of the Godhead. Do you see what I'm saying? So don't reject the Holy Spirit as something that is scary or weird or whatever. He is a person. Get to know 
the Holy Spirit as you have gotten to know Jesus and as you've, and as you've got to know the Father. And the promise is for you today to have this personal relationship and experience with the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is God. So the Holy Spirit loves us, teaches us, empowers us, guides us into all truth, helps us in our intercession. The Holy Spirit is the one whom the Lord has sent to be a helper to you. The Holy Spirit is a comforter or one who comes alongside to help you. The Holy Spirit is a person. It is God himself with you and in you right now to help you. The Holy Spirit is the medium through which we have fellowship with God, right? God is spirit. We're taught that we're made in God's image. God is a spirit. We are a spirit. And to, to, to connect with God fully, we need to connect with him spiritually. Therefore, we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the, you know, the, the connection, how we relate to God spiritually. is through this relationship with the Holy Spirit. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, to bring people to Christ, and to teach and empower the believer to a righteous living. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to distribute spiritual gifts, right? Such as healing, or miracles, or prophecy, or words of wisdom, or knowledge, or faith, or of distinguishing between spirits, or tongues, or interpretation of tongues. The, the, these things are all from the Holy Spirit, from the person of the Holy Spirit. And when we take over the job of the Spirit, we fail. We fail miserably. We do not have the power within ourselves to defeat sin or to possess or distribute any miraculous gift. We can't do that. It doesn't come from us. Or to provide even spiritually for ourselves or to bring anyone to Christ. We can't even, we can't even bring someone to Christ. It's the Spirit of God who does that. Of course, he uses us, but it's him in us or through us and through the working of his word and through the, the voice of his people. It's him doing it. It's not us. Without the Holy Spirit doing it, we can't do that, right? We can't even understand the word of God without the help of the Holy Spirit. We could read this right here. The Bible says that we can't even understand this without the Holy Spirit helping us to understand it. We can't rightly discern this or understand this without God himself, the Holy Spirit, breathing it to life in us, giving us the revelation of what it really means. And so without the direct involvement of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can't do anything. We, we can't do anything. We can't, we can't understand the Bible. Uh, we can't provide for ourselves. Uh, we can't defeat sin. You know, we can't be changed or transformed. Uh, is, this is not a human effort issue. This is a Holy Spirit role in our lives. All of these things are only possible through the presence of the Holy Spirit in us and with us and through us. That's why we need to develop this relationship with the Holy Spirit. All right, so um, let me just give you a quick example of marriage. Marriage is a relationship that God has given us. It's used in the scriptures as an example or an analogy of our relationship with God, in particular with Christ. But I want to use this um, analogy because I think it kind of works pretty well. So first of all, as a human being, you and I, we are a spirit. I am a spirit. 
I have a soul. My soul is my mind, my will, my emotions, right? So just like we talked about how the Holy Spirit has a mind, the Holy Spirit has a will, the Holy Spirit has emotions, so do I, so do you. I'm a person. I have a soul. I have thoughts. I have desires, my will, you know, and, uh, and I have emotions, okay? So, but the third part of who I am, I'm a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. It's right here. You're looking at it. I'm feeling it. You know, I got dimensions. I got a weight to this body. I got a color to this body. You know, this is my physical being, right? Now, as a physical body, I have physical needs uh, or drives, right? Those physical drives. Like, I have to have air. I have to breathe. I can't not breathe for much longer than a minute or two. Uh, Bad things are going to happen if I don't breathe. I need to drink. I have to have, you know, if I go more than three days without drinking, uh, how many of you know we're in trouble, right? Our bodies need to drink. We need to breathe. We need food. We need shelter, okay? We have many physical drives and physical needs that we have. Well, we also have, because of our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions, we have sociological needs and psychological needs, right? I need to be loved. I need to have a purpose. I need to feel important. Um... I, you know, there's, I need to have relationships. Um, I've got to, you know, my emotions need to be uh, dealt with, right? I mean, that's, that's part of our soul. And then there's the spirit, right? I, I need a spiritual relationship with God. I, there's a spiritual need inside of every one of us that's only and ever satisfied with God himself. He made us that way. And until um, we have a meaningful relationship with God, and I believe the Holy Spirit is a big part of this, we will still be lacking. We will feel something's off. Something's missing. Because a physical answer does not work for a spiritual need. A social answer or a psychological answer is, does not satisfy the spiritual need or vacuum. Only the spiritual answer satisfies the spiritual need. And the spiritual answer is God, and it's the Holy Spirit. You and I need and crave the presence of God. We were designed that way by God himself. And so that's why this is so critical. Now, when we look at marriage, for instance, man, I remember the first time I ever saw my, what, my future wife, Amy. Wow. <laughs> There's something, I mean, when I saw her, I was like, wow, look at that, that, you know, inside. Look at her. Wow. I mean, there was a physical attraction, right? I thought she was the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen in my life. I mean, that, there was an immediate physical you know, appearance and awareness, and I was attracted to her physically, right? And, and that's, that's because I'm a physical person. We, we have that part of our lives, right? But how many of you know that wouldn't, wouldn't be enough? If, if all I ever had with her, we get married, it was just a physical attraction, we probably wouldn't still be together today after 20, 26 plus years. That wouldn't have happened if there wasn't more because there's more to us than physical. And we've all seen those mistakes being made where maybe uh, someone does build a relationship on only the physical attraction and that's that's just not enough to keep them together because we're so much deeper than that as human beings. 
So then we have the social. So I get to know, you know, I remember getting to know Amy and finding out that we have a lot of similar interests. We are both very active people. Uh, we love being outdoors. We love doing activities and sports and I don't know, it's just things like that. You know, we liked pizza. Uh, you know, we liked uh, pinball games. We just like a lot of the same things. And we're on the same page, excuse me, about a lot of things. And so now our souls, my mind, my will, my emotions, uh, and hers began to connect on another level, right? And the relationship was getting stronger and closer. We had the same values uh, on, in terms of character, morality, family, and God, right? We had the same kind of outlook on life, and those, those, those outlooks drew us closer together. If I didn't have that with her, um, it probably wouldn't have progressed any further. But then there's a third level, even in our marriages, that God has intended for us to experience. Not just a physical oneness, not just a soul oneness, like your mind, your will, your emotions, but also a spiritual unity. When the Bible says that for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one. This isn't just a physical thing, although it is. It's not just an emotional, intellectual, you know, soul thing, and it is. It's also a spiritual thing. And there, it's a spiritual um, reality or significant moment when two Christians join together in marriage. And that is putting God first and center in our marriage and our commitment to serve Him uh, individually and together is the strength and the glue, if you will, that keeps a marriage together. Remember having those kind of conversations with Amy before we got married, and, and that was a big deal to both of us that we were both willing to serve Christ as our Lord and Savior, to follow the Word of God as our final truth and authority, and to live our lives for His glory and for His purposes. And, and because of that, uh, we are still together today. Because not every day in our 26 plus years of relating to, to each other, not every day did we have a great physical attraction or that we were always on the same page uh, mentally or emotionally or intellectually or, you know, I mean, everybody knows marriage. It's, it's not just up, up and up. It's, we go through times of struggle and periods of disagreement and, and things happen. Uh, and yet what holds you together? What holds you together is that it's not just a physical relationship and it's not just a soul relationship, but it's a spiritual and God is at the center. And, uh, and that's what makes that relationship full. And in, in your marriage and in my marriage, our marriage relationship is not complete until we're relating to each other on a physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual level. And so we need that. We need that spiritual level to come together in prayer, to come together in faith, and to build our relationship with God, with each other, together. We need that. And so it is with God. Your relationship with God is not complete until you are relating to Him as your Father, as your Savior, and as your Helper, present help, the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is the means by which you and I relate to God spiritually. Okay? So our relationship with God is not complete if we only relate to Him. <coughs> Excuse me. If we only relate to God on a physical level. Let me give you an example. If our relationship with God is only physical, which means I go to this building, this church, I listen to a sermon, I sing songs, I lift hands, I'm physically there, and then I leave. If that's all I got with my relationship with God, that's not enough. It's not complete. It's important, and it's good, but that's only a part of who I am, right? And if our relationship with God, it's not going to be complete if I add even to the physical and intellectual level. So now, my intellectual, right? So now I'm studying the Bible. I'm trying to learn about God. I'm studying this. Maybe I do Bible studies. I memorize verses. I think about God. And I'm engaging my intellect with God. And, and let's add to that emotional experience. I have an emotional experience with God. Uh, and I'm and, I'm, and he moves upon me, or I cry to him, or I release my burdens to him, and that's all good too. So physical, intellectual, emotional, all of those things are good, and they're a part of our relationship with God. But it's not complete if I am not spiritually connecting with God through his spirit. Jesus says, true worshipers, true lovers of God, will worship me in spirit and truth. So it's not just intellectual or emotional or physical, but it's spiritual. And the Holy Spirit is the spiritual means by which we experience God. And so I just want to encourage you, wherever you are in this, to begin to seek God, to know the Holy Spirit as a person. That's why we're doing this series. We're going to talk each week more and more about the Holy Spirit and how this works and how we relate to Him and how we can experience a fullness of the Spirit and how we can live with the Holy Spirit, Spirit living, okay? So as I close, I want to give you this simple verse. John 14, uh, verses 16 to 17. Jesus says this, And I will ask the Father, here's the Trinity, Jesus is talking, He's referring to the Father. So Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. And Jesus goes on and says, you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. All right. So Jesus is going to talk to the Father and the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And so he wants you to know him in all three facets of his personality, of his personhood. Every part of who God has revealed himself to us is a part that we need intimately in our lives. We need the love of the Father, we need the salvation of the Son, and we need the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for you. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to share these things together. Lord, I pray for your word to come alive through your Holy Spirit. Show us and teach us. Reveal yourself to us, Lord, as we go through this study together. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be fully uh, a part of our lives today. We invite you to come upon us, to be poured within us, to flow within us, and to, to give us the power that we need to live the life that Jesus has made possible for us. We thank you for your love, Father. We thank you for saving us, Jesus. 
We thank you for your present help, Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for a hunger within each one of us, Lord, to have more and more of you. May your Spirit fill us, lead us, teach us, and guide us, empowering us in every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let me bless you as you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life today and this week. May you hear him speaking to you and guiding you and teaching you. And may you see his fruit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Be blessed in his name. Amen. Amen.